I got to tell you, when we see Jesus in this manner, you're not going to fall asleep when you're reading the scriptures. You're not going to say, hey, you know, Jesus, maybe next week I'll spend some time with you. Right? He's going to get your attention. This is the Jesus who is now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopart.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. It's anything other than Jesus is fully God and fully man, it is not the Jesus of this Bible. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Jesus of this Bible, not a false Jesus. He's not a created being. He's fully God, never ceased to be God. So it's the unveiling of God. And that's why we read, I mean, you ever kind of just get pretty, um, pretty in awe when you read Revelation chapter one, the, uh, the revelation or the unveiling of who Jesus is. Remember it says, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about with the chest with a golden hand. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Can you imagine meeting this Jesus? Will he get your attention? Absolutely, right? His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand the seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I don't know if any of you have ever stood by the sun lately. You're not going to be able to do it, right? His countenance was like the sun, S-U-N, in all its brilliance. Now, I got to tell you, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the Jesus that is described in the Bible. Surely he's fully man. He veiled his glory, but now he's what? Unveiled. He's always been fully God, and this is the description. And I want to mark this to you because I think we make a, a big mistake, us as Christians. We think of Jesus as the Jesus in the Gospels, and that is a grave mistake. No longer is Jesus in the Gospels. Now, he was, right? It's the historical count of Jesus when he walked this earth. What does a historical count mean? It's past tense. He's no longer walking this earth in a veiled presence. He's unveiled. He's in all his glory, right? It's his eternal presence. He never ceased to be God. But at one point in time, about 2,000 years ago, he veiled his glory to become a man to walk this earth. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. And so we've studied Jesus in the Gospels, the historical account, veiling his glory, walking this earth. Now, why do you have to veil his glory? We've talked about this so much, right? Remember the writer of Hebrews says, the perfect sacrifice, the better sacrifice. Why did it need to be a better sacrifice? Because the blood of bulls and goats can only what? Cover sin. We've talked about this, right? But the blood of Jesus, he's fully God, became a man. And as a man, he was sacrificed. Now, why do you have to do that? Because the blood of bulls and goats can only cover sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that can remove our sin. Why did it need to be the blood of Jesus Christ? Because he was fully God, is fully God, and he became fully man. He became the perfect man. The Gospel of Luke records, right? Why the perfect man? Because the perfect man would become the perfect sacrifice. And so only God is perfect. And only God could become a perfect man, 
in the person of Jesus Christ, and only a perfect man can be the perfect sin to remove our, the perfect sacrifice to remove our sins. So you understand the doctrine of the person of Jesus Christ. When it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is the Jesus it has to be. Not a created being. Not the half-brother of Lucifer. Not an angel. Not a good man. Not a prophet. He has to be fully God, who became what? Fully man, to become that perfect sacrifice. So we've understood this doctrine, right? We've reminded you of this in the teachings of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, especially. Remember the doctrinal test? Who do you say that Jesus is? Remember we said, if it's anything other than fully God, fully man, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so when it says, the revelation, verse 1, of Jesus Christ, it's the revelation of the Jesus of the Bible. Not a created being. Now, revelation. So we've talked about Jesus, right? God is salvation. He's fully God, fully man, right? Christ is his title, Messiah, the anointed one. But when it says the revelation of, this person of God. Revelation literally means unveiled. The unveiled Jesus Christ. And that's why we read sword coming out of his mouth, his eyes is flaming fire. And John, when he saw him, but he hit the ground, right? You know, it's interesting. You're not going to fall asleep when you meet Jesus. You're not going to say, well, I don't have time for you, Jesus. I got I to gotta do this. I got to do that, right? When this Jesus is standing before you, you're going to make time for him. I guarantee you. This is the unveiled Jesus. But I got to tell you, people, this is the Jesus that we serve in the here and now. Because this is where we see the two come together a bit, okay? The transfiguration. What's the transfiguration? Well, the transfiguration, I'm going to set this up for you. I'm going to give you the scripture. We're going to read this together because you're going to see similarities of what we just read in Revelation chapter 1. The transfiguration happened. Remember when Jesus, he was way up north there in Galilee. And right before he was going to work his way down to Jerusalem, go to the cross, he's up there north and he goes up to Mount Hermon. That's where they believe the Mount Transfiguration is. And he goes up with there with uh, Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner circle. And as he goes up there, remember what happened? He became transfigured before their eyes. His glory began to shine from the inside out. And it's interesting, when you see that word transfigured or transfiguration, it's the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. Remember that class you took in elementary school about metamorphosis? They get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Yeah, his glory is veiled, but at this transfiguration what happens is Moses and Elijah are there and then the glory of Jesus kind of envelops all of them, right? And the glory comes out, right? That transfiguration, a metamorphosis, okay? So as you turn now back to Revelation chapter 1, when it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what's being described in Revelation 1. And so let me read this again to you, verse 13. It says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which would be Jesus, clothed with a garment, down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance 
was like the sun shining in all his strength. The glory, the revelation, the unveiled Jesus, right? And what happened when John saw him? He fell down as though dead. And so notice the similarity with the transfiguration. Jesus, right? The glory coming out. Okay, so when we say the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's the unveiled Jesus Christ. And I want to note this. This is very important for us to really understand. When we relate to Jesus now, it's no longer the historical Jesus in the Gospels. Now, we're very, very thankful, right, that that happened. But he's no longer veiled. He's unveiled. He's at the right hand of the Father. And that's really the position that we receive this book of Revelation, this prophecy. When Jesus returns, it's not going to be in a veiled body, right? It's going to be unveiled. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. Unveiled, right? And we too will receive resurrected bodies as well when we return with him. We'll talk about that, right? The whole chronology of end time events as we get through a book of Revelation here. Okay, so the revelation of Jesus Christ. Very important for us to take hold of. Revelation of the biblical Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Which God gave him to show his servants things which, much short, which must shortly take place. But he's writing to his servants, to the church, right? And he's writing to them the things which must shortly take place. So what? must shortly take place. Well, John is writing in the time of the church. When did the time of the church begin? Remember at Pentecost, right there. Remember when Jesus ascended to heaven, right? And then we see right there at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon the church, right? And that's the beginning of the dispensation of the church. Well, I've got news for you. We're still in that dispensation. It's the last dispensation before Jesus returns, and sets up his millennial kingdom, right? And so we are in that time. And so when it says here to his servants, he's writing to his servants in the church. We're servants in the church as well. And it says things which must, shortly take, which must shortly take place. So shortly take place from what? The time of the church. We are still in the time of the church. Okay, so it's not so much saying shortly in terms of minutes, hours, days, weeks, and years. It surely, it means more the next thing on the prophetic calendar. What's right after the time of the church? It's the time of his return. Remember in Acts chapter 1 when he ascends, right? Remember they're all looking up as he ascends and they say, hey, what are you looking at? Go about your business, right? Go out and make disciples of all nations, right? He didn't say that, but he said, what are you guys doing while looking up into heaven? Get about your business, right? Because he's going to return. He's going to return after the time of the church is fulfilled. See, the next thing on the prophetic calendar is his return. And so we're in the same dispensation as John is, the time of the church. But I got to tell you, we're at the latter part. <laughs> we're getting closer and closer every day, right? You can watch the news. Okay, so he's talking about things which must shortly take place. So he's writing this letter to us, the church, so that we would know what is next on the prophetic calendar. And then after that happens, we can know what's going to happen, right? And then we're going to return and roll and reign with him, okay? So it says, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. This would be the apostle John, the one that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the gospel of John, right? Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. This word testimony is where we get the word martyr. Right? There's a testimony of Jesus Christ, right? And it says, to all things that he saw. 
So there's a testimony of Jesus Christ to John to all things that he saw. This word saw is that word edo. He saw and perceived. Okay, so he's perceiving the truth of this prophecy uh, from the testimony of Jesus. There's a blessing. It says, blessed is he who reads. But not only he who reads, but he who, what? Hears the words of this prophecy. Now, how are you going to hear the words of this prophecy unless you read it? Right? So you want to read it, as it says, but you also want to hear it. So I'm going to read it to you. And you can listen to it. Okay, but then notice it says, and keep those things which are written in it. Okay, so not only are we going to read it, not only are we going to hear it, but we're going to do those things that are written in it. We're going to be ready. Okay, and there's a promised blessing. I don't know about you, <laughs> I like blessings. This is the final chapter, people. It's the end of the story. And you know what, it's good. It's more than good. It's, it's just, it'll blow your mind. But we don't read it. And there are different reasons why we don't, we don't think we can understand it. We're a little bit fearful of it, right? And we haven't read much of the Bible anyway, and so it kind of confuses us. But I got to tell you, people, I think the blessing is when you read it, when you're faithful to have an open mind, that you will understand the end of the story. And when you under, understand the end of the story, you will live a different life in the here and now. It'll change your life in the here and now. Your focus now becomes on the things that you know are promised in eternity, which I didn't know until I read Revelation. You know, I used to think about this. Now, I, I know I didn't really think about this, but I know this is kind of the, the, what we imagine. You know, how many think heaven is, you know, you're just going to be up there in a cloud, right? And you're going to be playing a harp. How many think that? I mean, that's kind of the picture we have, right? I'm just going to be, oh, lying, playing on a harp. That is not true. <laughs> that is not true. But how are you going to know that unless you read what heaven's going to be like? What the millennial kingdom's going to be like? What the new Jerusalem's going to be like? You know, the Bible even gives the dimensions of it, that you're going to have a resurrected body. I believe you're going to go from the New Jerusalem down to the Millennial Kingdom, ruling and reigning. All this is recorded. You can start to put these things together. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful life in eternity. You're not going to be sitting there with a heart. You know? I mean, that's the... But see, we don't know because we don't read. And I believe the blessing is finally knowing the end of the story, the final chapter. That's the blessing. And when we have that hope. Remember that verse, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? Faith. How do we live by faith if we don't know what our hope is? Think about that. What's our hope? Our hope is heaven. What's heaven? How's it all going to unfold? You see, if we don't know what our hope is, how are we going to have, have faith to live? See, faith is the substance of hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. This life of faith gets so much more vibrant when you know your hope, when you know the details of it. And this is what a study of Revelation does, okay? And so it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. I believe the blessing is to finally not just read, right, but to hear and to understand how it's all going to unfold. And you're going to have radical hope. 
in this life, and that radical hope in this life is going to increase your faith. No longer are you going to be sold out to living for the things of this world. You see, the carnal Christian and the temporal Christian, I shouldn't say carnal, but the temporal Christian lives his Christian life in terms of what God can do for me in the here and now. Well, he can do a lot for you. But we get disappointed when it doesn't do the things I want him to do. But you know what? Really, the great miracle is what he's done for you in eternity. But if you don't understand that, right, you're going to live a defeated life in the here and now, even as a Christian. And so I believe that's the wonderful blessing. That's my two cents for what it's worth, right? Now, verse 4 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, you're going to see the number seven appear many times, okay? So notice in verse 4, seven churches. Notice in verse 4 at the end, seven spirits. We're going to talk about that. Are there seven spirits, right? We're not going to do any of this. <laughs> this is the Holy Spirit, okay? We'll talk about that. But then notice there's seven lampstands. There's seven lamps, right? And uh, seven golden lampstands. And then we have the, the seven lampstands. And... Um, all these different sevens that appear, the seven churches, as I mentioned, and he actually spells out these seven churches. Okay, the seven, the number seven is a, is a number of completion. So I want you to note that. I think this has a, a great significance in our understanding when it talks about the seven churches and the seven spirits, right? The seven golden lampstands. Seven is the number of completion. And so when he says to the seven churches, I always ask, why seven? Well, it's the complete message to the complete church. Now, he spells out the seven churches uh, in verse 11. It's the church Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Chapters 2 and 3, he has a letter to each one of those seven churches. There's commendations, things they're doing right, and there's what? Correction, things that they're doing wrong. And so we're going to see that. Now, the reason I believe it's seven is speaks of the fullness of the church. And so even though it's for seven specific churches there, when we get to Revelation 2 and 3, we're going to see that the commendations or the rebukes and the rebukes, they, we can relate to them. It's things that we do in the church here today, right? So it's the church at large. And he picks seven as a number of completion. It's not that it's only to these seven churches. We can apply it to us, seven being the what? Complete number. Now, many would say this, that it represents the seven different church history errors. Now, we'll go into that. And, you know, there's some good um, arguments for that. I wouldn't limit it to that, though. You know, they look at the apostolic church, what, the persecuted church, the imperial church, the, um, the dark age church, the modern church, all these, the Reform reformed church, all these different church errors, right? And they say, well, these seven churches, they represent each one, respectively, represents one of those church errors. I don't so much buy that, but that's okay. I just really feel when it says seven churches, it's the complete message to the fullness of the church. And so when he goes to these seven letters, right, it's things that we in the church at large can relate to. It's an eternal message to the church and to the rapture. Okay? So he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, when it says from him, is this God the Father or God the Son? Well, I kind of think it's God the Father, but it can be either. Now, the reason I'm addressing this to you, we're going to see a reference to God the Father, perhaps, right here. But then we're going to see God the Spirit. And we're going to see God, definitely God the Son, in verse 5. So that's what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If right here, when it says grace to you and peace from Him, 
who is and who was and who is to come, if that's God the Father. But when you see other references to God the Father, definitely. The reason I'm underscoring this to you, we have the Trinity right here, perhaps. Okay? The Trinity right here at the throne. Okay, so it says, Grace to you and peace from him, if that's God the Father, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits. Now, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So why does he say seven spirits? Well, if you have a different translation like the NLT or the NIV, uh, they'll transliterate it as the sevenfold spirit who are before his throne. Okay, the sevenfold spirit. And again, seven is a number of completion. So the reference is this, that the sevenfold spirit is the complete work of the Holy Spirit. And so we receive the Holy Spirit. It's a complete work in us. Right, the sevenfold spirit. Isaiah chapter 11, so let me read this to you. It says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Now, who's Jesse? Jesse is David's father, right? And so David is the son of Jesse, but we know that from David's lineage comes Messiah Jesus. So it's really a messianic prophecy talking about Jesus Christ, but there's a reference to the Holy Spirit here. It says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This branch, I believe, is a prophecy of Jesus. Messiah is going to come out of the roots of Jesse, which is the roots of David, right? And then here we go. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Holy Spirit is going to rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, the reason I bring this to your attention is many commentators will point to this and it would say that this refers to the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit, the complete work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, right? The Spirit is of the Lord, okay? The Spirit of wisdom, two. The Spirit of understanding, three. Spirit of counsel, remember? The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Spirit of might. The Spirit of knowledge, which is six. And the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the complete, the sevenfold, right, complete work of the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about this, it really does make sense, right? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, right? He gives us wisdom, gives us understanding, gives us counsel, and gives us might, gives us knowledge, and gives us what? The fear of the Lord. And you think about this, if the Spirit does all these things in us, it's a complete work, right? We're going to be walking with the Lord. So many would point to this and say this is the sevenfold complete work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we say seven spirits or sevenfold spirits, right, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, okay, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We say this, uh, Zechariah writes, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he, and he said to me, What do you see? And so I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand. Sound familiar? Remember the seven golden lampstands? Of a solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, and uh, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left. So the picture here is, right, you have this candelabrum. And this candelabrum has, what, seven lamps or seven lampstands, right? And you have this one container above that which is giving it continuous olive oil. But what's feeding above is these two containers, right, from these two olive trees, a right and a left bowl. Right, the olives are going in that bowl. It's going up to this container on the top. And the container on the top is now distributing, right, to all the different lamps of the lampstand. Now, the olive oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit continues what? To work. And that's why even in the temple and in the tabernacle, remember they keep the laps going over and over? What was the fuel? It was olive oil. And it was a picture of God, right? The Holy Spirit. It continues to work. Never, never turns off. And so we see here, that's a reference. And now let's keep reading. It says, the two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my what? Spirit, says the Lord. So he said, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so we walk not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit in us, right? And so that's another cross-reference we see of these seven pipes to the seven lamps, okay? And so as we now read the book of Revelation, right, we see... Now, the seven spirits, right, that matches. It's the sevenfold work of the spirit. But remember, we see these seven golden lampstands and these seven, what? These seven lamps, right? And so we see how it all kind of works together in the book of Revelation here, okay? So I want to draw that to your attention. When it says seven spirits, he's not talking about seven holy spirits, okay? He's a sevenfold work, a complete work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Who are before his throne. And from Jesus, verse 5, Revelation verse 1, Chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Okay, so we have God the Father, perhaps, right there, right? From him who was and who is and is to come. We have the sevenfold spirit or the Holy Spirit. And we have Jesus Christ, the Trinity, right there at the throne, right? And it says that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? He's the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the first fruit of the resurrection, right? How many people have resurrected so far? Only one, right? It's only Jesus. Only Jesus is in, is in his resurrected body. Now, he's the first fruit, but because he's risen, we know that we too, right? First Corinthians chapter 15, that's Paul's apologetic of the resurrection. Since we know that Jesus is raised, we too are going to be raised. Who's the we too? The we is the church. When is the church going to be raised? We'll talk about this as we get into Revelation 4. The church is going to be raised at the rapture of the church. That's going to complete the dispensation of the church, which started in Acts chapter 2, right? At the rapture, that completes that. Now, when's that going to happen? It can happen right now, people. And that's why he says in verse 1, right, things that must shortly take place. It's not talking about time in terms of minutes, hours, days, weeks, years, right? He's talking the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Ends the church dispensation, right? And then we see Jesus, he's going to administer judgment upon the earth. We'll talk about that later, okay? So the firstborn of the dead, from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So this would be Jesus, right? The historical Jesus in the gospel, fully man, that's what he did. But now in Revelation, right? He's unveiled. And as we see Further along in chapter 1, the description of the unveiling of Jesus, okay? Verse 6, and has made us kings and priests as God and Father. Now, what does this mean, he's made us kings and priests? Are you kings and priests? Well, you know, in different translations, the NLT, the NIV, and the NASB, it records more kingdoms 
um, he has made us a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests, not kings and priests. A kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? I believe that's a better translation, a kingdom of priests. The NASB says, a kingdom, comma, priests to his God. Okay, so what the reference is, what I believe is meaning is that we as the church, we're kingdom of priests to God. How is that? Well, see, we're representatives of God to the world. Remember Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Why did he say that? Because they're going to see Christ in you. You know, I have news for you, right? Your co-worker that is not going to church, never has received Christ, he's probably not reading his Bible, huh? He's probably not getting any good reference to who Jesus is unless he's what? Watching your life. Now, is your life a life that points him to Jesus? You see, as we're born again, we now become that kingdom of priests, right? We're the ones that people can see Christ in. We're the go-between. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Agua Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David.